Eleven O'Clock Comics, Episode Thirty-Five. Woohoo! It is Hanukkah, isn't it? Well, we'll be on the 21st, but yeah. Nice. Are you all happy and, and, and joyous? It's going to be a normal day around here. Uh, Festival of Lights, is it called? Yes, it is. Okay. Good evening, good afternoon, wherever you may be or whatever uh, the art belting is all played out. <laughs> it's 11 o'clock <laughs> comics. I'm Vince B., the Indian of the group. Well, I was. I, <laughs> someone was supposed to be Chris, and his name comes before mine anyway. But we'll see. That's the. I'm yeah, David Price. Secret. We'll surprise everybody. Right. I'm David Price, and, and I'm Yukon Cornelius. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tonight, the role of Chris Neesman will be played by Steve Bryan. Yeah. Oh, he. <laughs> I'm. I'm his understudy. He was impatient. <sighs> Filling nice. Chris's seat tonight. Chris has a Christmas. Uh, or uh, whatever you want to call it, a holiday you said party. Seat. I thought you said seed. Never mind. No, not his seed. <laughs> Filling his seat is the amazingly talented creator, writer, artist of Athena Voltaire. We all know him, Steve Bryant. Yay! That's where I talk. Hi. Yeah. Hi, Steve. We're not worthy. No. <laughs> and you know what? The this most is. i on the show um, ever. This is Steve's first appearance on 11 o'clock. And we've all, we we tried to have him on in the past, and we got our wires crossed, and and you know the poop hit the fan. But now he's here, and we're all happy. Well, it doesn't feel like my first appearance because I usually like talk back to you guys. Yeah, when I'm listening. <laughs> no, <laughs> god damn it! <laughs> well, you, you told me I'm fi- yeah, really. well, you told are, me I'm are, are you throwing in. your fist in the air. Well, yeah, I'm filling in for Chris. <laughs> yeah, you have to be nasty, evil. <laughs> yeah. So, how is everybody doing? It doesn't seem like a week since we last did this. Doing great. Doing yeah. Great. I don't know what the strategy is going to be for the next week, though. With the holiday season all cropping up and everything, we may just kick one out real quick after this. Not tonight, but, you know, we got to get one out for Tuesday because I don't think anybody's going to want to record Wednesday of next week. Um, so we may surprise them. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's tis the season. We have to uh, get something out for our... People are going to be off from work. They're going to be having long drives to see their right. in-laws. They want something to drown out the kids screaming, are we there yet? I so think it, have- it was the comics reporter's Tom Spurgeon that said it was almost a desperate plea to everyone who does this 
uh, podcasting or blogging or any kind of reporting at all to please have some content for next week for the very same reasons that you just mentioned, where people are starved for content during this down week. And usually people are on vacation with everybody else. So there's really not a whole lot of content being shoved around. We should step up. That's what we should do. Absolutely. I think it's a plan. I think we're up to the task. That's right. So in lieu of Chris, uh, we're going to have Steve do the drink thing. Steve? So I ask everyone what they're drinking, and I volunteer that I am, in fact, drinking breast milk. (laughs) (laughs) What a coincidence. Is is that from the tap? tap. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, from the spigot. I've got uh, my mail-order bride, uh, Olga, from Match.com. She cleans my brushes, and uh, she's right here. (laughs) So, So her paper's cleared then. Oh, yes, 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 they did. I'm liking and, it already, Olga. Mm. <laughs> and my, my PayPal account like covered it, so I'm okay. Sweet. You and you are both into the Eastern European chicks these days, oh, I guess. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm actually just drinking Diet Mountain Dew because i got to work when we get done. You know, ah. I, I think Hugh Hefner's mummified already, and he just doesn't <laughs> know it. Have you ever seen that show? What's the name of it? Uh, Girls Next Door or something like that? The show with the Playmates. Yes. Where, oh, my God, it's horrible. It is. It is. Uh, and he's walking around like, hey, hey but he like, broke up like Stan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Stan played him in uh, Iron yeah, Man. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. That was a great scene. That was. Uh, okay, I'm uh, drinking the usual. Wood. Uh, you're dr- uh, I am actually drinking Vince's usual tonight. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, I, uh, I have a couple holiday things going on the next few nights that I'll probably be imbibing a good bit, so I didn't want to get too crazy uh, tonight with anything hard. I guess I guess I'm the only one in the spirit. I am drinking eggnog with some Jim Beam. Oh, that is wow. the spirit. Eggnog. Mm-hmm. Never had the 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 gumption to drink that stuff. Now uh, it is the season. So David, uh, first of all, happy holidays by the time this airs. Thank and you, Mer- sir. Well, and Merry Christmas for Renee. We do celebrate both. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So you're uh, you're you're one of I know quite a few. I guess. Uh, Mixed family, so you do both. Do you put up a tree? Do you, do you have? A- we do put up a tree. We uh, it's been rather depressing. I don't think we're going to put a tree up this year, but we have. Um, we do, we do have some decorations. We'll put around. Um, I call it a Hanukkah bush. She calls it a Christmas tree. We uh, we we um, we do, and I'll have the uh, I'll have the menorah up. So um, it's definitely a a uh, two party system in the house. There you go. There you go. And Wood already got his gift. With the whole dog thing. You should consider yourself ahead of the game. Yeah, he's sitting right next to me right now having a bad dream, in fact. There you go. Well, that's because he hears me, probably. <laughs> yeah, for those that don't know, uh, my my puppy, I have a seven-year-old golden retriever. Uh, my wife went to pick up the kids at school, called me at work saying, we have a problem. My dog, uh, I guess like any dog, will eat just about anything he can get his mouth around. And uh, somehow or another, one of our cats must have knocked over a bowl of freshly filled chocolate, and my dog ate about a pound and a half of chocolate. Ooh. So uh, those of you that don't own dogs, chocolate is toxic to dogs. The, the more pure it is. Yeah, like If yeah, it exactly. was Baker's chocolate or dark chocolate, then we'd really have some serious issues. But like you found out, it was what, mostly milk? Yeah, it was milk, and it was all in wrappers. You know, It was those individually wrapped. Okay. So luckily... He did get sick and all that good stuff, but it was nothing. Uh, could have been a lot worse. So, so knock on wood, he, he he's fine now and uh, sitting next to me here, just chilling out. So awesome! Yeah, mm-hmm, ch- cool. Chocolate and raisins you'll want to keep away from dogs. No question. Yeah. So David, so basically, a chunky bar is the way to kill a dog if you're trying to off one. <laughs> <laughs> David's auditioning for the part of Marlon Perkins in the uh, Wild <laughs> Kingdom movie. 
Nice. <laughs> no matter with Doolittle. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't want to put uh, type in my experience Thank with you. dogs and chocolate. So, yeah, yeah. I, I had a bad experience. So, my schnauzer, Stinky, got into uh, a big bag of chocolate. There and you go. It didn't end well? No, no. Did not end very well. Oh, well. What are you going to do? He was 16. So that stinks. He had a nice, nice long doggy life, but yeah, there you go. Stinky R.I.P. Yep. Stinky the Schnauzer. God bless him. Hated everybody except me. <laughs> awesome. I love those types of dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Steve, what do you want for Christmas there, buddy? Oh, geez. What are you hoping Santa leaves under your tree? Well, I already made the... Oops. Sorry, Sorry I was <laughs> lost again. I'm there back. we go. Mute button. Stupid freaking oh, mute, mute button. button. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I I already made the Olga joke, so I can't go with that this time. Yeah. Uh, geez. Um, aside from the ubiquitous art art supplies, which I always need, um, I'm behind on my BPRD trades. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that too nerdy? No, that's fine. Oh, oh. So s- s- send your BPRD trades care of Steve Bryant. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can imagine going out to your door one day and you got a big old box of B- BPRD trades. That'd be awesome. I'd be That'd okay be with hot. that. I don't want anything for Christmas. Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. I just want everybody just to be happy. I don't want anything. Uh, awesome. Well, then when, when you get my gift, uh, you can send it to someone else, all right? Wow. Your gift. I, I'm I'm wondering now what the heck it's going to be. A bunch of chocolates. Body oil. <laughs> More the, kind, the kind he likes. Yep, exactly. Dang. Bottle opener, yingling. Let's talk <laughs> comics. Are we finally ready to talk Final Crisis 5? What's that? Come on. Let's, uh, we got to do like, it. It's yeah, very important. Mean, it's an important issue. I don't know. Issue. Is the guest up to it? I mean, I don't... Yeah, I, don't I don't know if that's uh, exactly in Steve's wheelhouse, but... Steve, did oh, you read listen. it? No. Um, I haven't... This is kind of embarrassing. I haven't read a crossover since... Jeez, uh, maybe wars. no. Uh, uh, I think Millennium was one. Millennium, I, I was going to say that. God damn it. <laughs> Invasion. It just pushed me out of it, you know. Yeah, I envy you. You guys would say you're better men than 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 we, because I'm a sucker for these things. Me too. Well, but you know, I can just read the the spoilers. It's uh, it's like in the Lost Boys. You know, mm-hmm. you you don't have a TV, but you get TV Guide. You get TV Guide. You don't need a TV. <laughs> Nice. I don't need to keep up on these things. I, I just listen to podcasts. And you can hear about all the angry people who read it and, and basically just live through them. Pretty much. Well, not everyone's angry. No, not everyone is angry. Some of us are quite joyous. Yeah, yeah but most, yeah. most people on the internet are generally just angry. Yeah, they are, yeah. It, it's like as soon as you get your ISP account, it's like, okay, I get to be angry now. Well, myself included. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it, I'm above that. You know, you th- you whip out the right topic, and I can get pretty damn pissy too. So you know what though? It's it's analogous to a department store in the fifties having a customer service desk, which was really a complaints department. Mm-hmm. You know, people <laughs> always feel emboldened to bitch about things, um, and they don't, unfortunately, and we're all guilty of this, don't take the time to compliment things when they uh, exceed our expectations. It's much harder mm-hmm. for us to do that. We're not wired that way. It's a shame. That's a that's a very good insight. I'm I'm really impressed. I wasn't expecting that insight like that. Especially well, for that's, exactly that, like that. that's it for the rest <laughs> of the episode. He, he just he blew his wad right there. Uh, Ooh, did you get any on you? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell me tell me of this final crisis five of which you speak. I'm sure the opinions will vary between the three of us. 
I'm, 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 I'm guessing David and I are the polar extremes with wood falling somewhere towards the oh, I don't know the left of 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 me. I don't know. It opened up beautifully. I loved the opening. Pages. Oh, the beginning was was beginning awesome. With, it with, looked gorgeous, and it you, played you know out the, well. The thing that got me the most about the beginning was not Hal Jordan kicking the crap out of an Alpha Lantern, Alpha Lantern Kraken, but the fact that he did it without the benefit of his ring. That's what I'm talking. That's about. Yeah. the that's yep. the thing that got me. And even though she was depowered, because the there's a, a running tally of of what her power levels are of the ring, but he just happened to take advantage of the situation and get in there and do what had to be done. That's Hal Jordan. I thought it was it was a perfect uh, characterization of the man. I agree. Uh, I I don't disagree. I I like the issue. I I thought. Hmm. Slowly, slowly, I and and if you know, was one more thing about the Alpha Lantern part. Did you notice the things in her in the energy of her ring, the centipede type things? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. have I been saying since day one? What's what's the the uh, the worm in the apple? The thing that's allowing the parasite, the the root of all the anti life equations. Per uh, yes, it's Mordecacus. Look at it. Yeah. Why Why else would they put a thing that, all right, it's a very stylized and modern version, but that's Kirby's Mordecacus right there. Is that the virus from Commandy? Yes. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> you should be reading this, Steve. Yeah, see, my ears perked up. Anything tied to Commandy. Oh, there's stop more Commandy in here. Stop drawing pages for, for your work and stop making Ooh. a living and, and read some comics, man. <laughs> oh, I do. I just... I'm, I know. I, I'm only I, <laughs> okay. All right, now let's slide into some other part. Wood, what were you going to say when I rudely interrupted you again? No, uh, well, no, I was just going to say, uh, you and David have it spot on. It started off with a bang. I thought this issue, at least for me, a little uneven. I I was glad to have read it. I I still am digging the series. I still have confidence that Morrison's going to pull a Morrison, and by the time it's over, it's going to be very cohesive and and all fall into place. But that said, I, I thought there were some things in this issue that left me scratching my head. Um, and I, I think probably the the biggest one, and maybe you can, because I know you've probably read this ten times by now, Vince. Couple, yeah. The, the checkmate scene uh, with, with so, the Omax. Yeah. So so Renee gets to Renee Montoya, who is the question for she gets to the checkmate castle, which I don't know how many people read uh, Final Crisis submit, but in that we we learned that the the remaining members of Checkmate are holed up in the castle trying to keep themselves from being overtaken. <clears throat> and she shows up there and she finds out that I guess they're producing an army of the old school Omax from, again, from Kirby, right? The Mohawk guys. Yeah, but the, it's neat that they're calling them Biomax. Right. And, and they're basically, it's like a strike force moratory thing, right? They, they have basically seven days t- to live. Correct? Right. And, and, uh, and how long was it said that it took God to create everything? <laughs> uh, well, on the seventh day he rested. Actually, well, okay, well that yeah, but keep going. Um, no, so so, but did you read Final Crisis Submit? Mm-hmm. Do you think it's just simply a miscommunication that in Final Crisis Submit, Mister Terrific is making uh, the tradi- well the more modern Omax, and and then in this he's making the Biomax, and they're different. I mean, do you? I, I assume that to just be a little bit of bad editing between the two books. You mean the no. the, the blue? Tinted Omax with the... Yeah, yeah, like the Omax yeah. scene, right? I mean, because in that book, he activates the program to create Omax, but it's the Omax we've been seeing the last few years in, in, in what we saw in Infinite Crisis and 
and the like. And then and then in this book, they're the the harken back to the original Kirby esque versions, which yeah, in, so in the original Kirby esque pose. Right, right, right. With, so, with so the legs you, and everything, you, yeah. And that's just an editorial. Yeah, I think gaffling. so. I, I, I can only guess, but it just maybe Morrison was have Morrison writing the actual Final Crisis book. Maybe he was quite specific in saying that I want these to be the old school Olmax, whereas in the the Rucka book, he might have just gave the artist an indication put an Olmax here, and maybe the only Olmax this artist knew was um, the new school Olmax. I don't know. It could be anything. It just could be bad communication. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's intentional, though. Okay. That's what yeah. I took it to mean. But if it was intentional, then I'm really confused. And that scene in particular, uh, when Amanda Waller says it's the last move in the human game, that's the theme that runs through the whole issue. Where you mean it was checkmate? No. Being the human game, the human condition is at the end of this Especially when you take into the account the checkmate aspect with chess and everything, That's they're, pl- they're, they're playing the last right. They're playing the last move of the human game. What right. comes after the human game? A new evolution that sure. tie that ties into the scene with the Rubik's cube, mm-hmm. where you had this character manipulating this cube, and Morrison cites that the god number is eighteen, and this person who we I guess we can all assume it's pretty much Metron, right? I would think so, yes. Yeah. So he solves the, the, the cube in 17 moves. And there seems to be some confusion as to why that's such a big deal. Uh, I, I read a, a lot of forum posts saying, I don't get the cube scene. Well, it, it's not so much the solving of the puzzle that's important, but that mental energy, the, the will, the focus, that's the trigger. The puzzle's not important. It could have been anything. What he's doing is he's, he's focusing his consciousness on this pro on this problem this this cube and it's like almost a laser beam of of will whereas he's piercing this threshold becoming something else he gets past this this seven numbers 18 threshold it, with magic numbers are, are so prevalent every number means everything you know, anything but so he's piercing this threshold into a new level of consciousness that's what that scene is about it's an evolution of this human species and it's true uh well let's ask our uh, our, our jewish friend david what is uh why is 18 important i couldn't tell you <laughs> what, what what is well every every letter of the jewish alphabet right has a corresponding number that is true but 18 has has significance that's why uh, it's very traditional to give eight uh, any uh numerical significance to 18 um you know when you're giving a monetary gift 18 is is a number that signifies uh life or birth uh, there you go in hebrew it's uh it's it's a combination of 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 chet and yud and it's uh and its numerical value in in hebrew is uh is equivalent to life or birth somebody did some research i'm loving it i love it look at this so that that ties in perfectly with the whole scene it's a birth of a new way of thinking well weren't you i mean the first thing i thought of is okay so he says that that if you solve the rubik's cube in 18 moves my first thought was Okay, so what's the significance of 18? Morrison, uh, getting back to what you and Sal talked about in my absence two weeks ago, um, <laughs> I would agree that most things, there may be a random thing here or there that, 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 that wasn't as intentional as we may perceive it, but something like saying solving in 18 moves is significant. I mean, Morrison obviously didn't choose 18 out of his ass. That had significance. So I started Googling the shit out of 18 to figure out what was significant. Even the characters in that Ruby's Cube scene, you had the, the primate-type character, 
that's talking to Nick's uh, Wotan, mm-hmm. who is supposedly the being that's going to usher in something new, something unforeseen. You had the primate, which is the old way, primitive man. You had Nick's Wotan, the new man, the 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 jump in I don't want to say evolution, but consciousness. And they were talking about gods in the middle. So you had that triangle that that pops up in a lot of Morrison's work. That that and- that. Trinity, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word. Oh, can I ask a, a remedial question? Sure. Okay, I had read that DiDio said the fourth world is over. Mm-hmm. So have have they revealed the the fifth world yet? It's it's almost there. But you know what the fifth world is? This the new t- universe. No, yeah, it, no, yeah, it is. But it ties. No, I in, meant Marvel's new universe. I was being oh, facetious. <laughs> yeah, Merck. Merck's going to be in it. It 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 ties into Batman R.I.P. Coincidentally enough, written by Morrison. Did you read Batman R.I.P. Steve? No, but I listened to you guys talk about it. Okay, there's a, a sequence in there where Batmite's talking to Batman, and he says, imagination is the fifth dimension. Does, Wait, it, I, do, does anyone think it's a coincidence that they're ushering in the fifth world in, in Final Crisis? I, I agree, and I have one more thing for you, Vince, which you, you'll probably dig on. Wow. The other significance of 18, and uh, for, you, for you higher mathematics folks out there, Eighteen is one of of a string. There's not. There's. It's not the only one, but it's what's called a, a pentagonal number. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, it's it's beyond that. It's actually a pentagonal pyramidal number. Um, basically, pyramidal. it's a it, it, which again pentagonal five fifth world. And it's a number. Basically, it's it's a numerical pyramid with a pentagonal base. So picture a pyramid that had five sides. Right. And what's Morrison doing here? He's ushering in the fifth world and building it up. Right. And I don't fifth, think it's coincidence. No, and the fifth world is a dimension of imagination. And whose imagination is it? Dark sides. Because as he was falling at the end of countdown, the less said about that the better. His fall, he's pulling all of, of time and space with him. So he finally gets in the body of terrible Turpin and gets comfortable to the point where the dark side identity bubbles to the surface and it's very important what Macari says. We prepared an earth body fit for the god above gods. Earth body. And, and Macari was the one who unleashed the anti-life equation. So Darkseid is becoming the planet's consciousness. And that's played out in the last couple pages when, when Darkseid says, uh, when I command your surrender, I speak with three billion voices. I make a fist, you make a fist. Uh, I stare into your eyes. It's with six billion eyes you look back. So Darkseid's becoming the central nervous system of this fifth world. That's what this is issue's about. Darkseid's coming into prominence. Fifth world, the world of imagination. Consciousness is imagination. So Darkseid's consciousness is taking over everything, and that's the fifth world. I think if Nick's Otan has anything to say about it, it's not going to be Darkseid's consciousness that, that uh, prevails. So, And that's the last page. You have this, this, tr- this triggered judge of all evil with this cool, it looks like a multidimensional monitor around his head where he can see everything that's going on. If you look real closely, he's got the sigil that the um, super young team, a.k.a. the forever people, have on their faces to protect themselves from the anti-life equation. That's built into that little monitoring device around his head so he's protected just like the uh and again with morrison he's loaded this thing with magical trademarks the sigil that's a big part of chaos magic that's a big part of what morrison believes the uh, the anti-life equation protection thing that's a sigil they've invested it with their will and it protects them from the anti-life cool beans 
Mm-hmm. But the best part of the issue for me is Mary Marvel grinding her crotch on <laughs> Captain Marvel Jr. That panel is friggin' perfect. Tell me that is not a hot panel. If it was a mature reader's book, there'd be something definitely going on in that panel. Yeah. Because well, she's, she's got the sod in her, so to speak. <laughs> if they drew Mary Marvel attractively in the book, then I would have agreed with you. Oh, I think she's attractive with the head shaved? Yeah. That's all right. Come on. She's a freak. She'll do anything. Look. I don't, like I don't that. know. So, David, you're, you're awful quiet. Really? Are you surprised? <laughs> well, let me just wait. Let me just tell Steve one thing. There's a bunch of creatures running around that were um, created by Simeon and Makari. You remember those dudes? Yeah. Well, they put Calabac in the, the, the Calabac consciousness in the body of a tiger, and he's running around. It's an anthropomorphic tiger. He's running around with a headband. Who does that remind you of? Prince Tufton. That's right. And, and no, and seriously. Commandy is my all-time favorite Kirby book. So me too. I mean, oh, this, I this is like you. a no-brainer for me. I love I'm, you. And and what was it that ushered in the prominence of the animals in Commandy? What event? Yes. Right. That's where this is all leading. The great dark side is the great disaster. Has there been uh, any mention? I can't remember the name of the the doctor from Commandy sixteen where they had that uh, Doctor Canis. No, not 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 the not the dog doctor, but when they were oh. looking when Commandy's in the hospital and there's all, all the uh the chemical the cord cortexin mm. and uh you know he's reading the doctor's journal. I can't remember if they actually list what the doctor's name is, but oh, that may be catch. something to look for in uh in Final Crisis. See, I haven't read it, but I might be able to contribute. You you nice. always do because anytime you say Commandy, you could say Commandy <laughs> and just make a bunch of grunts after it, you'd be com- uh contributing as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh, I well, okay, tangent time. Uh, yay. Are we going to get an omnibus of that because I've got two archive editions. I doubt it. I need something. We got to finish. Yeah. Oh, well, they're doing all the other Kirby stuff. They're doing the the losers. Be, so, the the fact that they initiated the series in the archive format, I don't think they're going to what what are they going to do? Have a commandy book that matches the like the demon stuff and the omac and the fourth world and then have another edition that's the archive edition i don't think dc would go for that i it's it sucks but are they still doing the archive editions i don't know ask bob Bretal. he's the one who buys them <laughs> or chris marshall yeah that's true chris marshall too uh, the, and you know what the only ones i've i've bought were the two commandies and that real cheapo batman one when they were trying to a- attract everybody to the the series and they put the batman one out for 19 bucks remember that yeah yeah it's the only one because I, I, i'm not gonna dump 50 bucks on a on a hardcover no i i traded in some some books i had to my local shop oh cool and got the two commandy volumes good choice how about the coloring in there really I sharp. like it yeah I like it quite a bit. Um, Beautiful, I mean, nice white paper. It looked like they, they just took the original books uh, as like guides and just went with it, right? Mm-hmm. Looks okay, really I've nice. totally derailed this, though. So please, back to back to Final Crisis. There, there so not, not only are you Chris this week, sorry, Wood, you're David, too, because that's his job, derailing everything. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, just mine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right, David, let's hear. Fess up. About what? I thought it started off great with Green Lantern and Hal. No, I it lost me with the change in the art. I just kind of stopped feeling it at that point. I wasn't real, you know. Mary Marvel, okay, fine, she's a badass. I I kind of giggled 
at mm. her uh, at her Daffy Duck impression when she's going after Supergirl, and she's like, "Mine, mine, mine." I I, I thought that was a trip. You know, there's two issues to go. I'm I'm sure we're going somewhere. I'll um I'm I'm definitely along for the ride. This is something that I'm enjoying in in quotes because of the writing. Uh, the the art's never been what's impressed me with this series from the beginning. So Let, let's be fair though. When when I I started that one thread about uh, Jones's art, you can actually see him losing interest over the course of the issue. I didn't take into account there's a third artist doing yeah. this. It's, it's J.G. Jones, naturally, Carlos Pacheco, Marino on inks, I'm assuming. On Pacheco, Mar- Marino, right. Right, is, is inking Pacheco. And I took it that this Marco Rudy guy was maybe inking Jones, but I think Marco Rudy is responsible for the last couple pages. And right. I originally attributed those to Jones. Is that what everybody else thinks? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they don't look like Jones' pages, and I was like, "Oh man, he is no, even, it. Yeah, right. Even with Jones drawing with his feet, I mean, the, the, these pages with uh, Luthor, Guy Gardner, um, they were just they were dark. I, I don't know who was who or how some of these people, you know, if they even have bones in their body, the way they're standing around. I just wasn't. No, I know. Hey, it's the season. I'm sorry. I just, I, I just, it, it really, it, it was a punch to the gut. I mean, after again starting off so strong, I was just like, wow. I, it's like, well, all right, I'll just muddle through and just keep reading what's in the word balloons. And you know what's bittersweet about this issue? We lost Pacheco to Marvel. Well, he's still, he's still, he's. I'm sure he's gonna finish off. Well, yeah, series, I mean, like yeah. after he finishes it, because. I like Jones's work, but the pages by uh, Pacheco are much stronger, I think. Well, but we're getting Doug Monkey here soon, so it's... <laughs> Very nice. Uh, Peter so... Rios. And kudos to Peter Rios for um, invoking the name of Terrence McKenna on their uh, Final Crisis 5 episode. It's, it's not a name you hear very often. It should be batted around a little more. Cool for uh, Peter. But uh, what did you think about the one... The explanation for Batman, where Makari says, uh, and I want to find exactly what he says, because it's pretty specific what happened. He says something about our clone, the clone army that was being created is destroyed because Batman, um, damn it, where is it? I can't find it. I don't, I don't have my issue handy. Um, okay, the Batman psycho merge killed the clone army these fools tried to build. Is that something we're going to see Next issue, or is that something we saw overcoming Dr. Hurt? Was that the thing that put the kibosh to the clone army? Like, were they going to use Batman as the template for this army of, 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 of clones? Or to, to, you know, subvert the guy's will and make him pliable and then duplicate him? You know, because he's the ultimate fighter, the ultimate thinker in the DC universe anyway. Yeah, I, that was one of the parts I was a little lost in. I, I took the clone army to mean the the Biomax, no? Isn't that... No, 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 no. No, because the Biomax are coming out of Checkmate. That has nothing to do there you with... Go. I'm lost on that part then. I, I, I didn't get that part. Hmm. Uh, well, I guess we'll see next issue. But, because that, that may be a, a scene that requires a lot more storytelling, so I'm sure he didn't want to stick it in, just shoehorn it into this issue and truncate it. So I bet you we see that next issue. I bet you. So, have have we uh, said enough about Final Crisis? Let's talk about something else. Is that good? You guys want to move on? 
we can move on. I think. Do you have anything else to say? Because you're you you stunned me with the eighteen. I'm I'm proud of you, my son. Well, that was the part I felt most proud of uh, <laughs> in terms of it. The only other thing I'll say is you forgot to mention the coolest part of the book is not Mary Marvel. It was the fact that Frankenstein uh, is, yes. is, is leading the battle. I mean, so I, I hope very seriously that we get a chance to see our, our boy, Mr. Monkey, draw uh, Frankenstein. Oh, uh, yeah. That final issue, which I assume we will. Here you have a, a being, if, if, it's, if his origin is... is in the traditional Frankenstein monster sense, you have a being created by a man playing God, quoting Paradise Lost. Respect. That's, does it get any better than that? I don't but know. But that does bring up the question that does come up quite a bit and has of late on the forums and various and sundry places is that is Morrison right or wrong or, or is there really no judgment to be made by doing something like that? I mean, in, in that you know, putting things like numerology or Paradise Lost into a book where it is somewhat essential, I think, to totally understanding where he's going. Is it unreasonable of him to write a funny book in a DC mainstream event or with those kind of references required to get the most out of it? I mean, that, that's kind of... My take is usually, well, no, if you get those references, it makes it all the more satisfying, but you don't need them to right. be entertained. But... I'm not so sure that in the last few issues that's necessarily true. I, I think if you're not interested in looking for the, 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 the second and third layers of what he's getting at, I, I don't know that this story would be as entertaining if you weren't willing and ready mm. to, to do that. Well, let's be honest. Morrison writes for himself. He's, he's not putting these things in with, with the thought in the back of his head like, oh, they're really going to dig this. He's yeah. writing it for himself. Aren't all the, the, these are th I don't know if all writers do that. No. Well, not just writers. Well, Steve, let's say we have one on the panel tonight. <laughs> Steve, when you write and and illustrate your you know your books, do you, we, we, uh, obviously I I know from talking to you all this over the the last few years that that you certainly are um, like many artists uh, you you appreciate the the commercial aspect of it. I mean, you're trying to put out a product that. Uh, will be entertaining to an audience, but at the same point in time, is it a fair statement to say that you are, at the end of the day, illustrating and or writing for yourself? Absolutely. I mean, if right, if it doesn't satisfy you, then, right, so, I, I guess what I'm right. saying, Vince, is, isn't that a truism? I mean, aren't no. all artists doing it for themselves? No, there are some whores that are very much aware of the audience and tailor the story to please them. That That's what you call a hack. They, they, no, I'm, I'm not being, I'm not oversimplifying things. If you have someone who's creating a work of fiction with the intent of pleasing a certain group of people, giving right. them things that they want to see in, in as plain language as possible, you're playing to the audience. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. So scratch the hack part. I was, I was a little, I was going to say, what if, yeah, I was a little too mean with that. But like, I, and I don't want to bring this name up, so I won't. But there are certain writers that, that, <laughs> that know. No, I wasn't. Oh, okay. I wasn't. I wasn't. But but there are certain writers that know that if the Hulk punches the Watcher, it's going to elicit a reaction from their audience, and and that reaction is 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 it's very primal. It's below the belt. It it, it gets this emotion churning in the reader, like oh my god, that was so cool. But the, you know, there's nothing else to it. But like sure. Morrison puts the uh, the prototypical man on a on a motorcycle. And, and has him quote Milton. There's something else there, but you can gloss past that. That's not required to understand the story. Neither is the 18. 
it, it makes it deeper and, and more rich, but it, it doesn't, your understanding of what happened in that scene doesn't, is, it's not a requirement, is what I'm trying to say. Sure. There, there, there was an event that caused a quantum shift, and that's all you need to know. Something happened, because something uh, X led to Y. Mm-hmm. That's all, you know. So that that's what Morrison is doing. I think he's he's writing for himself, but there's just a lot of people that seem to dig it. Well, and, and, the, and uh, it, yeah. it can be enjoyed on a on a on a purely surface level. You can skim across the ice of the story and and not worry about what's crawling underneath. But sure. if you want to, you can maybe crack the ice and take a peek. <laughs> Hello guys, this is um, Richard, otherwise known as Blue Mini, otherwise known as, um, what did the wife call me earlier today? Get off. Uh, th- this could be a little bit trouble actually because, you know, obviously I'm, for you fuckers, I'm foreign. Uh, I'm also, I got a cold, so I'm sniffling, and I'm drunk, so I'm slurring, so you probably understand the fucking what I'm saying, but you know, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll go with it anyway. I wanted to chime in on the whole... Uh, Batman R.I.P. thing after listening to your last episode I'll, I'll do the comic first um, I, I didn't fucking like it really it, my main thing problem with it was that it kind of went on and it was all cool and there was this whole you know, Batman reinvention blah blah bollocks and it seemed like he got to the very last episode or, or issue or whatever the hell and suddenly realised it was called Batman R.I.P. so he tagged on a he jumps in the helicopter and it blows up ending. It was it was fucking shit. It it had it had nothing to do with what went before. It it just it seemed so glued on the end. It it just sucked really. And it was and the end was so bad that it spoiled the rest of it for me at least. Um, I know some of you liked it. Well, I know Vince liked it. <laughs> but Vince is fucking insane. So we 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 don't count anything he says. So it's just so cool. And the other thing I wanted to basically talk about was my the stick I've got on my ass about Grant Morrison, and you know I I do love his shit. You know he's really fucking good. I you know, I loved Animal Man. I loved Arkham Asylum. I loved his, his fucking Justice League stuff. He's fucking brilliant. But the problem I've got is that he he is like the comic version of like the Emperor's new clothes, whereas he brings something out and everyone is fucking shit scared to say what he did was crap because. That as soon as you do, you get a little smug. Can we say cunts on this? Well, I'm going to say it anyway. We get little smug cunts fucking popping up, basically going, you know, the reason you didn't like it was because you didn't understand it, or or worse, they'll be really fucking underhand smarmy and go, you know, do you like your comic stick forward? If if that that's why you didn't like this, and it's it's not that. It's just they're not that fucking good. And. When he does shit, there's three things. I'm, I'm holding up three fingers. You can't see him, but I'm doing it. There's three things that happen. Either one, he is very clever, and he will write in something fucking, you know, subliminal, whatever the hell. He will do this really clever thing, and you'll pick it up, which is cool. Two, he won't do anything at all, but people who therefore are reading Grant Morrison comics will look at it and then decide in their own heads that there's something really clever going on. Or three, he'll just do something totally random, like he'll say, um, you know, okay, it's a Batman comic, there's Commissioner Gordon doing a press conference, and in the background, there'll be some guy with a wolf head fucking a squirrel. And and people will go, oh, oh, what does that mean? In the next panel, he wasn't even there. You know, that's obviously something really deep and intense. And basically, at the end, some clever guy will work out some really clever fucking 
you know, thing to work around the whole story, which wasn't there. You know, he's, he's, he just drops these things in and lets clever people than him work out why it's so good. So, <laughs> I'm fucking rambling, but I don't care. So That's when you stop, really. Uh, so that that was my wife, because I'm one of those... I, I'm, I'm a comic nerd with a wife, which is really odd. He's signing off now. There he goes. Are we done, are we? Yeah, we are. I think okay. we are, yeah. Okay, the last thing we've got to do is... um, um <laughs> uh, I'm, 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 I'm editing it all down. It's gonna be cool. It's gonna be cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trick it in. Dude, seriously, okay. you, need, you need to leave it alone now. So the last thing I want to say is, um, firstly, <laughs> even even though I was like totally freaked out by Prince's insanity in the last one, it was a cool as fuck episode, and I think you should get a salon every fucking week because he is a definitely good counterpoint to the the craziness going on, and um. And the the very last thing I want to do is because hopefully you'll play this, and I know having listened to I listen to you guys, I listen to around comics, I know that Mike Norton listens to every fucking thing you play. So as my wife is a Mike Norton groupie, I want her to come over and say hello to Mike. So, so do do the thing. Hello, Mike. <laughs> there we go, nerd porn. All right, uh, this is me. I've annoyed you enough. Keep up the good work, guys. I do really love the podcast, even though I happen to swear at it a lot and go, what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> um, uh, there we go. Bye-bye, nice American people. Who is oh. writing Ultimatum? Uh, David, is that Bendis? No, that's Loeb. I thought that was Loeb. Oh, Loeb is writing Ultimatum? Yep. Well, as much as I make fun of the guy, I got to say, November sales, he had the number one and the I number two books. <laughs> so Ultimatum was the number one top selling book and Hulk number eight was the number three. Uh only one that was that bested the Hulk other than Ultimatum was, was Batman R. I. P. So Well come on. But Let, number let's... three? Holy Britney Spears, Batman. <laughs> oh sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's look at T V as an example. It, not currently because there's a lot of smart shows in the top ten, but traditionally Yeah. Tra- traditionally it didn't take a lot to shoot up the television charts, the Nielsen ratings. I mean, Happy Days was number one for how many years? And I'm not not squashing Happy Days. It's a cool show. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, you can sit back and unplug your brain and just enjoy Happy Days. And I think that's what Loeb's bringing to comics. Is, yeah, is just yeah. A, and, the, and that's cool. I, 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 last week, I, I thought The Hulk was a great book. I, yeah, I enjoyed every bit of it. But, you know, it's, it's a far cry from Sir Grant. It's true. Sir, Sir, Grant. Sir, Grant. Sir Grant. Wow. Yeah. David, what'd you read? Oh, man. I pass. I didn't get a chance to read a whole hell of a lot this oh, week. Oh, he's, re- he's ready as usual. I am, man. Oh, I don't want to derail anything. <laughs> he doesn't want to take away from what he talks about in Marvel Noise number, number 60. Which, <laughs> which was absolutely nothing. You see how he drags that pain along? The guilt. David's you good at that. You threw me that. Dude. I know, but you caught it, so and now I you're carrying it, it. Drop it. Drop it. Just drop oh, it. Man, it's, oh, yeah, Grant. Grant, just like Grant dropping some Jack Kirby. Okay, yeah. yeah he'll well, let that go. Let's uh, talk about something that deserves attention. Okay, wait, I got right. one. Sell me on. Oh. And I'll set this up, because I All have right. yet to read any of this series. Oh. We're at Barnes & Noble yesterday, and Renee sees... The shrink-wrapped copy of the James Jean covers the fables. Oh, so it was it was wrapped, so we couldn't 
flip through it, but I saw that they, and I was talking to Vince about this last night, and I, I saw that they had some of the trades of Fables, never the first one. I think the earliest one was number three. Mm-hmm. So we're flipping through it. I'm showing her the art and giving her the gist of what I know about who the cast of characters are. So she says, but you've never read it. I says, no. She says, okay. And I'm pretty sure that it's something that she would be interested in, but of course it's something that I'm going to have to read also. So sell me on Fables. Take it away, Wood. Well, uh, well, as you know, David, from from prior episodes, I I think Fables is month in month out the the probably the best comic out there. Um, it's a fairly straightforward story, which I think is what makes it so 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 fantastic. It, it is that uh, all the fairy tale characters with which we grew up reading about um, are public domain, so they're they could you know Willingham can can use them as he pleases. the The premise is that they, in fact, are real real. Uh, magical creatures that exist in another land and that uh, something happened uh, some time ago which prompted uh, quite a few of them to migrate to a small part of New York City uh, and live in, in, in some somewhat an- anonymity. Um, uh, and then an adventure ensues and, and there's a lot of layers. We come to find out why they came to New York, uh, that, that their land is still occupied by other fables, who kicked them out, you know, if they're going to ever get back and, and uh, the, the characterizations are fantastic. They're consistent. Um, it, it's one of those series where I think the entire team is really to credit. Um, uh, Mark Buckingham is the principal artist. Uh, every now and then he, he is replaced by someone like Mike Allred, but, but I'd say, um, and you guys can correct me if, if you disagree, but I'd say Buckingham's been done the interiors on probably all but four or five issues out of what, you know, 80 plus issues. So, um, I mean, it's pretty much his book, but it's just uh, if you have any appreciation for uh, fairy tales, um, it, I can't imagine it not being your cup of tea. I will say um, you mentioned that there was there wasn't ever the first trade. What's interesting about fables is I think it's one of those series where the first trade does not do it justice. Um, I, I think the first trade, while certainly uh, okay, I mean, I enjoyed it. I think that. If you just read that first trade, I could see a lot of people not having the impetus to go further because it's a little bit dry. I think I think Willingham was still finding his way around that world uh, in the first few issues, uh, and then from there it really explodes and becomes far more interesting and and and, and well paced and uh, cohesive. So I would recommend to anybody that if you're going to give Fables a try, read the first two trades. Yeah, because if, that's what I you, generally do. Okay. Yeah, if you do that. I honestly think that, that that second trade, if the second trade doesn't hook you, then, then it's probably not your cup of tea. Uh, right. But if, 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 that, if by that second trade you're not dying to read the rest, I mean, it's, I'll put the highest compliment I can pay it is this. I, I read it in trade. When I get a new Fables trade, which the, the last one, uh, the 11th trade, just uh, came in my DCBS box last week, no matter what else is in the box, Fables is always the first thing I read. I pull it out and I read it immediately. Um, and and I, I, that to me is the highest compliment I can give it. It's it's the thing I most anticipate uh, coming in my box. So, stop <laughs> 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 it. Sorry. Yeah. Can I that add? So good, but please, yeah. please. Like Wood, I I read it in trade too, and it's it's the first thing I read. One of the one of the interesting things, um, story wise, that I I've had in my head for probably about a month now has been. Did you guys listen to the to the Jeff Parker interview on on Word Balloon, the the most recent one? He he states um, there are plot driven characters and there are character driven plots, 
And while uh, Fables has this overarching you know, story arc to it, ultimately what makes it interesting to me is seeing how these, these uh, storybook characters have changed, grown, matured, all that other stuff. And I mean, there are some really cool twists, and what he does with where those characters are defines the kind of story you're going to get. I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, you read volume 11 already, right, mm-hmm. Jason? Yes. Uh, Cinderella. Just the kind of story that's told and the kind of visuals that uh, Buckingham gives that and gives her as a character. To me, that, that's part of the fun is watching these, these reveals. And I'm, I'm really trying not to spoil anything, but people that have read the book, I think, kind of know where I'm going with that, right? Um, Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing that I think is, is magical about the book is that Buckingham uh, and Willingham are, are able to take these characters that we all know so well intrinsically in, in that, again, a, a fable by definition is a story that has in it a some kind of morality play, right? I mean, that's really what a fable was. It was a, a way to teach children moral issues in a, in a, in a way that they would remember. Uh, he, so we, I think sometimes we think of those characters as very surface level, but yet at, their, at the core of those stories are certain entrenched moralistic ideas and he he can turn those on their head and give these characters such realism and but really getting at the core of what they would be were they in the, in the real world right which is i mean and again I, I don't want to spoil it either but but what cinderella actually is and sort of her place it really makes a ton of sense if you think about where her life probably went from the end of the tale we know of her from the, the you know the disney film most of us probably you know what i mean so i yeah i i guess it's just it's almost as though he's been handed the the rights to these centuries-old tales, and uh, and has been given the very daunting task of being the steward of of those characters, and yet it seems like he handles it with such ease. Um, it's it's amazing, actually. It really is amazing. It's not just a one-two punch with fables. It, it's almost like a hyperspeed beat down by the Flash because there's so many good pieces to the whole pieces that would be stunning examples. Were they found in other books with, you know, other lesser pieces? But they're, every piece of fables is as strong as the the next. The covers by James Jean. Mm-hmm. That 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 one cover with Rose with the parka on. You remember that cover where she oh, has it, her back, uh, yeah, her back it, arts. No, every. Co- I mean, James Jean is leaving the book, and right. that's that's a huge loss because to me, um, he is deserving of. He, I think he's won four Eisners in a row. Yeah. He's deserving of everyone. I mean, his oh, he, every, breathtaking. Yeah, sure, every one is, is is beautiful, but that that rose cover it just stands out from the pack as not only a great cover to me, but it's a it's an image that w- whenever it enters my field of vision, I can't look away from that thing. It just commands my attention. It, it's it's got style. It's got uh, sex appeal. It, it, the 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 actual manipulation of the of the colors to get to that image he just he nailed that cover and that that's the thing once you you, it's tough to get past the covers but once once you make your way inside the book you've got willingham's writing which is by far some of the best every month and then you have buckingham who i think and and steve's gonna maybe choke a little bit on this but (laughs) i I think buckingham is kirby good on this book dude i was gonna say the same thing he <laughs> um, he no. he he's channeling Kirby to a certain extent because you could tell that 
that was the the angle that they wanted to approach this from there's very kirby-esque composition there's there's the manipulation of the of the panels like jack would do but i mean the excitement and just that that it's not i don't want to say kinetic because there's not a lot about fables that's very kinetic aside from the the, aside from the war those that sequence was very good in in a in a lively dynamic sort of way but even when two characters are just standing there talking he's got this kirby vibe going where it's just it seems larger than life which is entirely fitting when you're talking about you know archetypes well i i was going to say essentially what what vince said because it's really easy to ape the obvious Kirby things, you know, to do square fingers and to do the dots and to do the ironing board legs and the squiggles, all that stuff without understanding what Jack was about. And I'd put Buckingham in a very small category that consists of Mark Buckingham and Steve Rude as far as guys that can channel Kirby, but they bring in the subtleties. It's really hard to bring in the, those subtle Kirby things because so many people are, are just concerned with, look, I'm drawing a fist and it's coming right at you, mm-hmm. you know, and there, there, there's no subtlety to that. But, you know, what Buckingham does at the risk of, of overselling it, his, his figures have just this subtle lyrical power to the way he draws them. And it's, it, he gets what, where Kirby's coming from. So... Yeah, I have nothing but praise for for Mark Buckingham on that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was put somebody say, else on that list too. Who? Eric Larson. Oh, okay. Well, let me get back to fables. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say, David, is um, no, I said subtle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the other thing, David, is is I think you can't help but notice as you read fables the difference in composition for the book. In that Peter Rios talks about this a lot, and I think it's always a well-made point, which is that not enough artists today. There's a lot of competent artists, but not enough of them appreciate the the ability to use a comic book page and and be creative in your panel layouts. You know, there isn't. You don't have to have you know the same square or rectangular panels in every page. You can you can do anything you really want and to tell the story. And yet, you know, so few do because they're used to doing it in these, in these very, very geometric in fables. Every border is fully illustrated and colored. Um, the, the layouts and the composition of the page are so unique, at least to a, to a, a book that, that I read on a month to month basis. Um, it's just the, the entire team is fantastic. And then of course you have Steve Leolola as an anchor, um, who's one of the best. So it's just fantastic. Since we're talking the language of comics, to me, speaking that language is a lot like learning Japanese because you could pick up little phrases here and there to get you through a conversation, but mastering that language is extremely difficult. And Buckingham, I think, could hold a conversation, to take the the comparison even further, with the best of them. And, and there's another guy, I think, that speaks the language of comics unlike many others and that's mike allred mm. if you take a look at what he's doing in madman atomic comics there's there's that that spark that you find in fables with mark buckingham moving panels around and wrapping things on the edge of the paper and playing around with the just the 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 nuts and bolts of that 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 comics speaking language mike allred is doing things while it may be a different approach from the language he's getting the same kind of results he's he's pushing and pulling and and finding the boundaries and and jumping past them and steve do you agree absolutely there was there was a period with allred where i wasn't 
quite as taken with his work. I, I was oh um, about the end of the first Madman r- run, maybe around the, the time he was doing the Atomics, it almost seemed like he was drawing at size, you know, not for any reproduction or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like since he took the book over to Image, well, one of the big differences to me, because I'm a nerd, is... I'm noticing, you know, how much tonal work he's doing before Laura even starts coloring it. And now they're they're knocking the backgrounds back even further. There's not to my eye there's either not much ink or they're color holding all the lines and giving those those backgrounds a really painterly look. So it's almost like an animation cell now if you look at it. He'll have the black holding lines on the figures. Um I think the preview I saw for the most recent issue online cuz I get to the shop like once every two months it seems like um but he's not even uh drawing the panel borders it's just you know the white gutters in between and uh color background and then you know the the figures and it's it's he's moving into this kind of animation cell type area with with madman now that kind of reminds me the intent of it kind of reminds me of what uh Steve Rude, Will Bleiberg, and Ken Stesey did back on the the Space Ghost one shot for Kamiko. Uh, uh, I remember that book very well. But I I loves me some Mike Allred. Yeah, and how about that one issue, maybe about four or five back, where every page was a part of the same panel, and oh, yeah. he he laid them all out end to end, and it was a progression, but it was basically a dolly shot uh, spread across the the entire breadth of the book. And while I think that's been done before, I, I haven't, at least as far as I can remember, I haven't seen it done this successfully. It was a breath of fresh, uh, fresh Starenko. <laughs> See, if I, if I hadn't stuttered when I said that, that would have sounded really fucking clever. Take what two. F- Steve's retort. Go. Two, one. Bushmouth says. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Allred's another one of those uh, wonderkins that just seems to be able to pull this creativity out from wherever and oddly enough steve keep an eye out when you do get to the comic shop because mr allred makes an appearance in a book that was released today from marvel called thor god size allred has a a 10-page story dan barrington has uh, a story in it well it's basically the same barrington b-e-r-e it's b-r-e Brereton, it's, yeah, B R E. All right, so Dan, Dan B has a, a <laughs> wonderfully. It's, it's there's a, a panel with Thor riding on the chariot with the two um, rams flying, and oh, it's it's amazing. And there's Hang another on, guy. There's another guy I've never heard of. His name is Miguelangel Supervida. Supervida. He pencils pages twenty nine to thirty eight, and and this guy's got. Copiel, he's going to give him a run for his money. Really? He, he, he's slick. Very nice. And he's got this real painterly kind of watercolor vibe to it with the colorist. And then let me see who the colorist is, just so we can give him a little bit of props here. Frank D'Armada. Oh, wow, and it's not dark? No, it's very, it's, it's, there's a lyrical quality to it. Awesome. It's very, very painterly, very much in the Spider-Man X-Men vein that we've seen recently. Good. Okay. Yeah, and and on top of that, you get a reprint from Simonson's Thor 362, the the one with uh, the uh, well, I won't say because it'll it'll ruin the the first part of the issue. But 64 pages, 3.99. That's a bargain, and it's coming out of Marvel. Get it. Respect. 
we were talking know. today about the price of comics and, and how Marvel's going to price themselves into oblivion. Not with this one. Value uh, for the were. dollar. Yes. Well, I, I shudder to bring up a, an issue of the numbers uh, on, on another show because I'm always the guy that talks about numbers. So You're the downer. Uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, it's Bill. I joined up your forums recently. I'm uh, just listening to episode 34 right now. Uh, I was thinking about dropping the voicemail just to, uh, I don't know, say some shit. I'm drinking a few beers tonight. And uh, hanging out with my little cousin. I've got a, a, my eight-year-old cousin down there watching The Dark Knight while I'm doing some work. So I am uh, officially infecting the young with the disease. So that's good. And anybody that turns that into a, uh, a uh, sick joke is uh, an asshole. Uh, anyway... I emailed Vince a while back, or PM'd Vince a while back, uh, and uh, he gave me some kind words, so Vince is uh, Vince is awesome. And uh, Chris Neesman, uh sorry I turned off Around Comics to listen to 11 o'clock comics at one time, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I tune into both for those smooth baritones. I tune into both for that, that beautiful voice that uh, brings me to climax. So it's all good. Um, anyway, I just want to thank you guys for, uh, keeping me in hours of entertainment while I'm working, and, uh, peace out, and hope, uh, hope the fruits of my labor entertain you. Uh, peace. Yeah, but I, actually, but speaking of numbers, though, it is actually a good segue, because, uh, we never, I mean, we, we introduced Steve, and, and he's here with us, but I guess we took for, we guess we've taken for granted that people... Um, who listen all know who Steve uh, is or what he does, which which I guess people probably mostly do. But but Steve is of course uh, a uh, a fantastic artist and uh, and writer in his own right, and has a book coming out not too long from now. And I think it's germane to the issue of pricing of comics because I'll let Steve talk about the book, but I know I'm certainly excited. It's the uh, the long-awaited return of Athena Voltaire, Steve's creator-owned character, in a um, a team up with another. Um, character which i enjoyed quite a bit uh the black coat and what's fascinating about it aside from uh, it's great that we have more av but but what's fascinating is, is steve you guys are pricing this at, at two bucks for the for the issue and uh, so in dcbs it's a dollar so I, I found that you know fascinating uh and i assume that 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 no small consideration on on your your part to to make make that price point i mean you had to have given that a lot of thought because i guess that Will certainly crimp into your profit margin on this book. So I, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts as to, um, I, I guess, what you hope. You know, what was the process in coming up with that, and what you hope it will do. I mean, I guess the obvious answer is you hope it will mean more sales and more exposure. But, but sort of, what was your thought process in coming up with that price point? <laughs> How much time do you have? Uh, all the Pl- time we, we have, have plenty. <laughs> okay, um, this all kind of grew out of. Well, okay, I don't know where where Ben Licious, best name in comics. Uh, the creator of the black coat came from, you know, what his perspective was. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it all kind of grew out of, I was really unhappy with my contribution to the ape free comic day book last year. Actually, I've, I've done two contributions the last two years have not been happy with it because, you know, I'm still learning how to, how to write for comics, I think. And mastering a five page short story 
that introduces the character, gives you a compelling threat, and wraps it up, all in five pages, pretty hard. And hmm. so I, w- I was kind of disappointed that I didn't feel I, I saw that as well as I could. I, I started talking to to uh, Brent at Ape about, um, you know, can I do my own free comic book day offering? They, you know, they allow for two, uh, you know, a, a silver level publisher to do two offerings. Can I do one? And uh, he said, well, yeah, but that would that would end up competing with our books because, you know, retailers are not going to say, oh, we'll we'll get twice as many eight books. No, they're going to cut it in half and get half of this and half of that. So mm-hmm. I would have ended up screwing everybody. So the next thought was, um, can we do a 99 cent book? And uh, Brent sa- uh, you know, looked at it and said, well, if you do it for a dollar, that that's the point where Diamond doesn't consider it to be a promotional tool. A dollar is an actual book and you might be able to make, you know, the top 300 or, or whatever. So, you know, the next thought was a dollar book. Then we started looking at the numbers and how many we'd have to sell to be able to break even, and it just didn't seem reasonable. And I wasn't sure how much of a risk I wanted to take because, you know, Captain Pie in the Sky here originally was like, well, we're going to do a 32-page dollar book. Let's see that not sell. You know, not my smartest move. Um, so they finally <laughs> talked they, they talked me off the ledge, brought me into the land of reality, and uh, – at San Diego this last year, uh, David Hedgecock, the co-publisher at Ape, mentioned that uh, Ben was looking to do something for the Black Coat that would be kind of a, a good reintroduction too because uh, that book got temporarily derailed also um, due to you know Ben's schedule and his co-creator, uh, Franco Fra- Francesco Francovia, um, you know, not being able to, to time out their, their schedules uh, the same way. So we wanted to introduce, reintroduce both books. David suggested we do it together, and uh, you know we, we kind of looked at it like, well, this lessens the risk for either of us if if mm-hmm. we team up. We looked at what the numbers were. We're probably going to lose money on this book, but we could break even. But we wanted to keep it as low as we could to try to introduce or, or reintroduce as many readers to the book as we could. So mm-hmm. that's how we arrived at two bucks. And I, I think I posted on the, the 11 o'clock forums about how we arrived at doing two covers. See, are, uh, do you regret asking me this question, Wood? Not at all. No. No, no, no. no. It's quality entertainment. Well, wind the boy up and he just won't shut up. Um, <laughs> but uh, we originally talked about doing it as a flip book. But then we, we found out that Diamond would only run one of the covers. You know, it was going to be like a flip book, black coat on one side, we flip it over, Athena on the other, you know, Ben mm-hmm. and I both get a cover. But only one of us would make the previous catalog. Now, since we're doing this at a loss, and we both want to <laughs> want to promote our book, you know, right. we're both kind of, you know, trying to be gracious and say, well, you know, yours can be the one in the catalog. No, yours can be the one in the catalog. And, you know, both of us really going, oh, I wish mine was the one in the catalog, but I don't want to be the dick that says, I want mine in the catalog. Sure. And uh, that's where Brent or David, I can't remember who, because we were on a conference call. Um, that's where, you know, one of them mentioned, well, if we did like a, a cover, you know, two separate covers where they butt together and we offered them in equal amounts, you know, it's not like incentive-based or anything like that. Both of them can run in the previous catalog. So, you know, our, our thought at this point is great because, you know, both characters get FaceTime. And then, you know, the downside was Ben and I had both already done our covers. 
And when this plan hatched, it was like, oh, by the way, we're going to need the cover in a week. So Ben did just a a, a gorgeous uh, comp for me to work from. I penciled it and inked it as fast as I could, got Ben's approval, sent it out to uh, Jason Millay, who colors uh, my stuff, and uh, we survived. Uh, So that's how it made it into the previous catalog. Ah, Awesome. Awesome. I I love the the backstage stuff. Love it. I, I always feel like I have to point that out because I'm not big on variant covers, mm-hmm. but I, I, I felt I should mention that because there, there's a reason why people do these things. And I, you know, I'm sure for all the, the things that we second guess about Marvel or DC or Dark Horse or, or whatever, I, I doubt any of those decisions are, are arrived at really easily. Mm-hmm. As much as you know, when I get pissed or when you, any of you guys get pissed, you know, we're like, how could they do this? Well. It's not like, you know, Joe Q just decided one day, you know, we're going to do this. So I, I know these things take, you know, a lot of thought. Sure. Well, I mean, what I'm really interested in is, is you know, I've, I guess I'm somewhat skeptical of, of, you know, Top Cow's decision to stay 299 in that I think it's well-intended. I'm just not sure it's going to really matter <laughs> to them. So I guess I'm, I'm interested. I'm, I'm buying five. I told you I ordered five copies, but, but I'm interested to see if you guys think when it's all said and done, it had a discernible impact on the number of issues sold. You know, I, I certainly hope it does, but I, I guess I'm just curious of, will a, would a person buy the book because it's $2, but wouldn't have bought it if it were 350 I guess is the question. First of all, thank you for reminding me that you're buying five copies because I haven't given you karma since I think this morning. Uh, so i got to go to the 11 o'clock forum, forums. <laughs> um, go to the 11 o'clock forums, and I can't remember the address, but I know it's bullpen bulletins, blah, blah, blah. Forum.bullpenbulletinspodcast.com. Woo-hoo. I've got it bookmarked, so I, I never remember yeah. that. But no, uh, it's tough because, gosh, I think it was maybe a year, a year and a half ago, I, I posted on the the Comic Geek Speak forums, asking people what they you know what they wanted in a book, uh, you know price and paper and this and that, and uh, I keep hearing how people want cheaper comics, but I don't know how many of them want cheaper comics that don't feature Spider Man or Batman right, or Wolverine, right, exactly, or whatever. So yeah. I'm not really uh, sure how many people are going to take don't, a shot. Don't feed him. Don't feed Wood any more ammunition than he already has. No, no. Wait, and- <laughs> hold on a second. The, the forum, you have to give me, you didn't give me any props today for the forum, but am I not picking up your cause? Am I not championing your cause against yes. 390 Comics? You are. You, and and it's, a, it's a worthwhile cause. And I, I really l- enjoyed the way you wrote that post. You, were, you, you weren't biased, not too much. You know, you, 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 it's from the heart, which was really good. And yeah, I think, well, you know what I think, but and I'm sure everybody that listens to us on a regular basis knows what I think that 3.99 comics are not a good thing. And when I say you know people don't want cheap comics that don't feature the known characters, I'm not trying to say that in like a pejorative, snotty, you know, judgmental way or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, looking at the way that people post on forums. Uh, there seems to be a lot of, uh, I don't even know how to put it, but, oh, if Marvel goes up to three ninety nine, I'll just quit comics, you know, which just blows my mind because, you know, it's like, well, Umbrella Academy's still two ninety nine, Hellboy's still two ninety nine. I I consider those to be just amazingly great books, you know, and there are plenty of really good um, independent books that aren't at three bucks. I mean, aren't at three ninety nine, and. Uh, 
so I don't know if, if we're going to see people coming aboard our book or not, because it's not the recognizable characters. I mean, we have 28 uh, story pages. I hope that counts for, for something. But again, if, if somebody looks and says, well, it's not my bag, you know, I only want stuff tied into a, a, a universe that I'm buying into. Right. You know, it doesn't matter how cheap you make it. Well, I really hope that the herd mentality doesn't prevail in this instance because there are a lot of publishers that can take the high ground initially, like DC, where they, in the past, DC has always followed suit. Marvel, with with a couple exceptions where DC initiated the price hike, but in, in most instances, Marvel kicked the prices up, DC followed suit. It's 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 been a, a very... Marvel has set a very bad precedent, and and I'm not I'm not trying to heap it all on Marvel, but it seems like DC always plays follow the leader. And for the independent books, maybe to hold their ground and take a little bit of a loss, I think that realistic pricing of comics at two ninety nine is going to benefit them in the long run. Because, like you said, there are a lot of really top notch comics out there. Now, if if Amazing Spider Man goes up to three ninety nine, God, I hope not. But there is the boys. Mm-hmm. That's that's two ninety nine, and and I would say that the boys is one of the best reads every month. You guys are talking about the thing you read first out of your box. The boys is my book. I read that the second I open the box. I take out the the books, crack them open, check the list, make sure everything's there, and then I read the boys. That's that's how I do it because it's one of those books that it's almost like instant gratification. I know what I'm going to get. It's always solid and it's there every month. And that's another thing that these guys have to try and shore up is the frequency. If you're publishing a cheap book and it only comes out three times a year, that's not going to do you any good. You have to be there when people want you. Well, well also, that brings up an interesting point relative to your and, and Ben's uh, because the other thing I wanted to ask you, Steve, is obviously I would think that if this is successful, i.e. If, if the $2 price point and a dollar, if you order you know, from DCBS, it, it has an impact in that, let's say – and I certainly hope and think it, it might, where you have, let's say, a few thousand extra people give it a try because they, you know, well, what the hell, I'll give it a try. And then I, I think if I'm confident having read your other stuff and also read reading Black Coat that if people give this book a try and they have any passing interest in, you know, pulp or adventure comics or anything of that of that ilk, I, I think if they give the book a try, they will. I'm confident they will want more. So I guess the next question is, is there more coming? Because, I mean, this isn't obviously number one of an ongoing series. So so will we see AV or, or Black Coat again soon enough that you could capitalize on any, um, uh, you know, a, additional fervor or interest this price point might cause? Um, well, yeah, there, there are plans for other things coming along. But I, I wanted to address uh, your first question a little bit. Because God knows, in my rambling, I still didn't, you know, cover everything. You were talking about seeing a uh, a result from doing a cheaper book, and you were talking about Top Cow. Bear in mind, with um, Top Cow, and to an even larger extent, uh, Ben or myself, it's not going to take a whole heck of a lot for us to see an increase. You know, for for a Marvel or a DC book to see an increase, because of the numbers they're doing, 100, 200 extra readers really doesn't matter a whole lot to them. Mm-hmm. To uh, Top Cow, it, it matters more, and you know, to uh, an indie book where you know you're selling two thousand units. If you get two two hundred more people, that's a ten percent increase. Sure, that's sure. that's pretty good. So you know, um, it it's not going to take much for us to to see a benefit from it. 
And uh, in a perfect world, I would love to, to keep the books at two to two fifty, but I just don't think it's going to be able to be done for more than you know an introductory book. Just because you know the risk involved. No matter how much you tell people you have to pre-order, you're still going to get people that don't pre-order. So if they're not pre-ordering, you, you know we're always hoping our pre-order, pre-orders will cover the printing cost. And it, it starts to get dicey if if you don't get there. So will there be more? See, I finally came back around. I just have to talk go. until I get to a point. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got a follow-up miniseries for this, just a, a two-issue miniseries. Again, I'm trying to, because we were gone so long, and you know, I've addressed it everywhere. The, you know, my my collaborator on the book, Paul Daly. And I had a, a falling out. It took a long time to get everything legally sorted out. So we did kind of lose some momentum on the book. And I want to I want to woo back readers and retailers and earn their trust. So the the two dollar book is our first step in the summer. Um, I had originally thought about doing a like a a one shot, you know, forty eight page graphic novella. But we're going to break it up into two uh, two issue miniseries because the uh, forty eight page one shot would have had to be six or, or seven dollars and. Uh, even though it's self-contained, I think once you you get up over five dollars, hell, probably once you get up past three ninety-nine, you're going to start losing people, even if your per-page price is cheap enough. So we're gonna we're gonna go with the two-issue miniseries. But I'm hoping, being a two-issue miniseries, if somebody pre-orders issue one, you know, you're halfway done with the series. Pre-order mm-hmm. number two. So you know, we're, I, I want to try to slowly win people back and. You know, when when we're done with that, I'll probably go to like a, a four issue series, and by then, hopefully, I'll have earned um, some trust back. And right. I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm not pretty sure. I'm I'm positive. Ben is working on completing the the second Black Coat miniseries that Francesco finished one issue of. I think that one's called "Or Give Me Death," right? Uh, yeah, or give or give me yeah. death was, was the second miniseries. Francesco, of course, is you know lighting the the world on fire with uh, Zorro. Well, Zorro, and before that, he was doing Sorrow, Sorrow's and I think awesome. he did he did something with Rick Remender over at uh, Image too. I can't remember what it was. Um, did he do like one of the Frazetta books with Remender? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure there was a one shot at Image that he did. But I mean, the guy's really busy, so I think Ben might be going ahead and finishing it off himself. Uh, possibly with a, another collaborator. So I know both books, you know, desperately want to come back this mm-hmm. uh, this summer. And, and you know, right. you were talking about momentum. That's very important in publishing. I think it's the single biggest detriment to Final Crisis is the momentum, the frequency. Agreed. If it's not, right, I mean, it should have been done by now. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I I read these polls on. Sites like the site that should not be named, and and other sites where <laughs> they'll 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 do a a poll and ask you know which one did you enjoy more, Secret Invasion or Final Crisis, and on the three that I've seen, Final Crisis is always ahead, and I'm thinking to myself they're they're still enjoying it more than Secret Invasion, and it's not even done yet. What kind of publishing event would this have been if it came out on time? Mm-hmm. It it boggles the mind. Maybe it wouldn't have sold so poorly. When you think about it, the sales numbers on Final Crisis are good in relation to other titles, but for an event, not so hot. It's sad. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, and just 
to answer the uh, Francesco was it, no, first of all the Black Coat second series is it is or give me death. So good call there, Steve. And <laughs> Francesco did uh, two Frank Frazetta books. He did Dracula meets the Wolfman. Uh, oh. oh, sorry. He did actually. It's just one. He did two issues of Dracula meets the Wolfman, and he is the ongoing on Zorro. And and I don't remember this because I have the book. He he was the penciler on issue number eleven of Fear Agent, which uh, is a book we talk about quite often. That's right. I, I do not remember that. So, but uh, maybe I wasn't that familiar with his name back then. But good stuff. Well, there you go. <laughs> Hi guys, this is uh, Joey, aka Malpractice on the forums. I just wanted to call in and say that I listened to last week's episode. I loved it, but I did hear that part about the turtles, and I was disappointed that everyone else besides Vince was kind of ragging on them. So it was kind of then that I came to the conclusion that this needed to be rectified in some way, and so it is here that I throw down the proverbial gauntlet, as it were, and challenge you guys to read an upcoming issue of Tales of the TMNT. In next month's previews, there will be an issue written by my good friend, Tristan Jones, and illustrated by a newcomer that I think everyone should be keeping an eye out for, Paul Harmon. This team has done two issues of the title already, and they were both excellent. Issue 36 is actually my favorite single issue of 2007. And this isn't the Cartoon Turtles. This is the East Van Layered Ninja Turtles, but being done for an audience today, not just a regurgitation of what came before. This issue is 32 black and white pages for $3.25, and if any of the four of you guys buys it, and doesn't enjoy it, I will gladly reimburse you the money. I believe in this book, and I want to see it do well. All right. Thanks again, guys, and I look forward to next episode. Who wants to talk about mutants a little bit? Anybody? What? Yeah. What? Oh, my <laughs> Lord. Oh, well, you must be ready to talk about Cable. Well, Cable's a part of it, a big part of it. But okay. I, re- I read Messiah Complex, the whole you thing. did? Oh, yeah. Stars really? and Guardians. I, I'm going to go pass out now. I really enjoyed it. Look and it's, it's probably because Cable was central to the story. But I just thought it was a lot of fun. It, it was actually cohesive for an X event, which, you know, it, while it does lead into something much bigger, and I think it's, it's the first part of a trilogy, isn't it, David? The Messiah Complex, and then next year's Messiah War. Right. And then I think there's a third a part. prologue coming up in March. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I knew the new X-Men from reading the book when Scotty Young was on it and, and before, but I think they fit so well in this story where they were the the cast-offs initially, and then towards the end they became crucial to the story, which was really cool. They, they weren't like just, as we've seen the New Mutants over the years, where, you know what, ah, they're only kids. Maybe Sam Guthrie will step up, but the rest of them kind of stayed in the sidelines for the most part. The new X-Men were pretty much in the trenches in this book, which is yeah. very surprising for me. Wood? Sorry, but I had the mute button on. Oh, oh my God. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, professionals here, folks. But no, uh, so. I mean, just the characters that they chose to throw in it. I, I love Predator X. I thought it's a really cool concept. Uh, Cable, obviously. The deaths, let's not spoil it, really surprised me because really? that's a character, yeah, that's a character that goes back, you know, far to the Claremont days, you know. Get married and, to Kitty. And, oh, see, now you ruined it. No, because, oh, please. <laughs> because we have so many people on our forum that weren't even around when that, when that book was, when that storyline was going on. And, uh, <laughs> I like that Professor X took a back seat. Scott's all, you know, 
Charles, you know, with all due respect, sit the fuck down. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> that, that was because you know Professor X kind of gets kind of preachy for the most part. He's always seems to to think he knows the right thing in every situation, and obviously he doesn't. No, I, being away from the X books for for some time, w- was Scott's reaction towards Professor X? Did that come out of the fact that Professor X left Vulcan out in space? Or, or is it because of Havoc? What's, why does Scott have a, a bone to pick with Charles? Well, it's a, it's a combination of, uh, and maybe David disagrees, but I take, took it as a sort of a combination of all the things that have happened in recent years. Everything from, um, you know, Professor X leaving them to go be in Genosha with Magneto and take care of Scarlet Witch to, the the uh, what seems like every couple of years, but the most recent massacre at the um, at the mansion, um, you know, to even probably going back to as far as, as as the onslaught stuff. I mean, he's you know, if you think about it, Professor X is given you know pretty much steered them wrong for a, a long time. I mean, the, he's a jerk. The, yeah, and 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 they're now <laughs> and, and and the way it's been positioned is you know with the one ninety eight. I mean, the mutant race is pretty much extinct now, and as a result, the Xavier vision of the future is 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 it's done. It 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 was a failure. The idea that mutants and humans would learn to peacefully coexist failed, um, and, and that was sort of the point of Messiah and the new status quo, of the X Men, which is that Scott finally had enough and said, "Well, you fucked up. I mean, you you may have had the best of intentions, but you fucked up, and now we're going extinct, and I we have no use for you anymore. You know, right. you, you you've you've basically ruined our race because of of preaching." You know this this pacifist bent that's gotten us all literally all of us killed. It's gotten millions of us killed. So, so do you think yeah. this will lead to Magneto again coming into the role of the, uh, the guiding guiding force for the X Men? No, no, uh-huh. I don't. I yeah. I don't see it. I mean, he's then for one, he's powerless. For two, he's when uh, did this happen? Uh, when when she said no more mutants. Jeez. Oh, okay, she, okay, House yeah. of M. All right, and. And as after uh, after Messiah Complex, when the title beco- when the adjectiveless X Men becomes X Men Legacy, and uh, it's Eric, it's Magnus that tries to he's there to help because I think it's Exodus that really wants to get into Charles's head, but Magneto is is uh, is there to help things. And after that, we we didn't see him after that until the New Direction. Uncanny X-Men. I think he shows up in 500. And at first I thought that was a joke. I didn't think that could possibly be him. But he shows up in San Francisco and basically terrorizes the X-Men. And uh, he gets kind of put away pretty quickly. And I don't think we've seen him since then. It's only been a couple of months. So I don't... I mean, for Scott to say to Charles, go fly a kite, I don't see him opening his arms to, to Magneto anytime soon. Uh, okay. I do have a question. There was a, a, a section of uh, the book where they noticed that there was two timelines that were very important, and Forge sent two duplicates of mm-hmm. Madrox to these two timelines. We saw where the Layla Miller and Madrox timeline went. Mm-hmm. Was anything ever made of the other one? They in the, in the entire series, they never showed where the other Ma- uh, Madrox went. Hmm. Um, Did he? Did, did he come back? I thought he came back dead. Or oh, see, I was, didn't. I mustn't have seen that because they they made a big deal of of him coming back to consciousness with the M 
tattooed on his on his face. But other than that, I, I don't recall anything involving the other Mad The Max. other one, okay. All right, yeah. I'll have to go back and check it out then. Maybe I just wasn't yeah. paying attention, but I, I, I don't remember. I, yeah. I, don't, I, I, I think I would remember something like that, though. No, you're right. And I don't, and, and as far as I know, it hasn't been touched on in, uh, in David's X Factor. So it's just been, uh, I mean, Madrox has his own issues with, with his, uh, free spirited dupes anyway. Right. And, uh, and I'll tell you, reading this you series has, in, has increased my appreciation of what's going on in cable, the series, because uh, if you remember, way back when when I talked about it mm-hmm. I initially said that I think Bishop is a dick and I, I, dis- <laughs> I dislike the character even more than I did going into the series I realize now that there's a motive behind what he's trying to do and they don't really make that clear in Cable they, you just kind of get you know the, the idea that there's something of great importance with this child and Bishop is trying to, to stop it but they, they, they don't really flesh it out as well as they did mm-hmm. in the Messiah Complex so now I know so he's not so much of a dick, he's just trying to do what, what he thinks is right. And doing that, he's so blind and deaf to any sort of reason. It's just, he's got right. tunnel vision. He's so, he's so focused on this mission that he's not... And obviously, and you know, it's... It is selfish to a certain extent because he wants his parents back. Or he wants well, revenge for his parents. This is where, and I've, I've been an ardent ex-supporter in the worst of times and the best of times. Um, it's, it's that and the Avengers are the two books that I'll just... I'll seemingly read no matter what. Um, I will say, to be fair, uh, when you start getting into the cable and the bishop, that's where it does start getting really wonky in that, you know, bishop was from a a future where, you know, he he comes back to try and change a future that he doesn't want to have happen where mutants are subjugated and persecuted and it's horrible for mutants. And then, you know, the same thing with cable, right? I mean, he's... The Scani son, and he's from a time when, again, you know, mutants have to fight to stay alive, and you know, only with his thing it was apocalypse. But point being, they're 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 very analogous characters. Oh no, um, no, 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 no! In terms of their 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 when they came into the Marvel universe, they're both from the future, trying okay. to change the the present with the present Marvel universe to stop their versions of the future. So even though they're from two different futures, effectively they're both trying to save mutant kind, and the status quo basically. The future's already—it's already failed. I mean, there is no mutant race anymore, so they kind of are out of place now. And, and I, I, I guess Messiah War technically gets them back on track. But what's curious to me is that I, I'm still not sure I buy the motivation on either side. I mean, in that, you know, are, are they going to try and bring this back, and are we going to find out that that this Messiah baby is actually the main driver behind? Bishop's future that we that we were exposed to in the '90s. I mean, is that right. are we to learn that, or is this just another you know future vision that he's trying to change? I, I don't know. I'm 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 I've been reading Cable. Uh, I am I, I'm not enamored with the idea of bringing back this this yet again. I mean, it seems like the X Men get in trouble when they just revisit the same theme over and over again, and it seems like we're heading back into yet another example of oh boy, the X Men have to try and change the future and yet every time they don't succeed in doing so it seems like it's a fait accompli that the mutant race is is fucked but yet every year or two we have to go back to this idea of let's change the future and i'm I'm nervous we're we're doing that yet again so well it's always been about survival of the species so if they can ensure the survival in the future eh, maybe maybe this is the the big daddy future timeline story to end all future timeline stories. Maybe this will... I mean, it is a trilogy. 
So maybe they're just going to put the put the coffin lid on and hammer that sucker down right. after this. I hope. Well, I hope. in answer to your question, Vince, the second, according to Wikipedia, so take that with a grain of salt, the second duplicate of Madrox is in another timeline, presumably still out there, although somewhere unknown. So, so there you not. go. He didn't come back. Cool. Uh, speaking of mutants, real quick, um, you were going to say, Vince? I do love Layla Miller. I love that character. The, the the one part in the book where she's like, dude, don't stand there. And he's like, what? <laughs> X-Factor has not been the same since... Uh, of all the X-Books, I think most of them are better than they were before uh, Maasai Complex in their new forms, but X-Factor has taken a dramatic nosedive, uh, in my opinion. Really? Well, Layla Miller, I don't, I don't, well, no, she's not in it, and they've moved, but I wouldn't call it a nose... I don't know if they maybe... Well, Maybe you it's like taking them a while to get the yeah I do. <laughs> uh, it, it it may have taken them some time to get their footing after Messiah Complex ended. Um, I would love to see some consistency in the book, and I don't mm-hmm. mean because Madrox might look like Matthew Perry in one issue or John Cena in another. I just you know I I would like some consistency as far as who's going to do consecutive monthly issues. I think the longest stretch we've had may have been Koi Fam with four issues in an XL arc a couple of years ago. That's, again, why I kind of just emphasize that it's Peter David's X Factor to me. He's been the only lone consistent voice from the beginning. It's been his baby, and I've, I've enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, I wouldn't mind having Layla Miller back. It's going to be interesting now that, uh, as of the last issue of X Factor, um, Teresa's water broke. So, <laughs> will you know we, uh, baby girl that 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 Nathan is protecting may have a genetic cousin somewhere down the line. I mean, it'd be very interesting with your parents as two mutants. Will will the baby be a mutant? As the mutant turns. <laughs> I, I I will say one thing about Messiah Complex to wrap up, and then we can move on because Steve's not talking. We need to hear yeah, from Steve. Again. Um, I was pretty much oblivious to Finch after uh, before going into uh, reading Messiah Complex, but his covers are smoking. He did a, a a wonderful job on the covers. He he's got this this cool style that he's he's sporting now that I, I've never noticed him do it before, where he does this this weave. In in uh, shading weave in the background, it's really working well for him. I, I like Finch's stuff, and and which let me uh, take a peek at Ultimatum, and I liked what I saw there too. So I'll probably get that in trade, um, you know, if it's reasonable. Hey, eleven o'clock guys, this is Jonathan. Uh, Nod filter on the forums. I just got back from the dentist and got my tooth pulled. Uh, I got they gave me some pills for the pain, so. Uh, I think it's a good time to read Batman R.I.P. In this state, I think I might be able to understand it. I think this is what uh, Morrison wrote it for. Talk to you later. Keep up the good work. Bye. Steve, what else are you reading? Um, I mentioned I went to the comic shop last week for like the first time in two months, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I'm I'm behind. I I don't have anything from today, but I caught up on Criminal and oh. Hellboy mm-hmm. and the Goon and Daredevil and Captain America. Wow. So that's some good was, reading. From start oh, it to was finish. it was yeah. good times in Comic Land here. I tell you. Mm-hmm. 
and of those, which 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 you you grooving on most? I mean, in, term, in terms of the, the the current story arcs, which one has really hit your funny bone? Hellboy, always yes. Hellboy. It all <laughs> comes back to Hellboy for me. Um, and now this may even be sacrilege because, well, I I know you would know that I worship at the the foot of Mike Mignola. Yes, sir. But I got to tell you, as much as it was cool to see him back doing in the chapel of um, Moloch, the the one shot from the end of October, I loved Fregretto on Darkness Falls and on The Wild Hunt. Did any of you guys get that? Yes. No, um, I no, I'm I'm as you probably know, I'm reading Hellboy. I'm so far behind. I'm I'm just reading all Hellboy in those uh those beautiful um oversized editions, the library editions, so. Oh, this is going to translate really well when when they eventually get to to reproducing those. Uh Vince was it you that said you're reading it? Yep, I I I buy Hellboy in uh okay for David, single issues. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Oh and do, have you read uh, the Wild Hunt? I'm not caught up. The la- um, I'm still in the last BPRD miniseries. Okay, um, I, I let them finish and I read them all at once. There, there's a, a scene where Hellboy is, you know, kind of uh, being given a tour of this this castle, lodge, whatever, and we 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 get to a scene where the you know there's a big massive painting on the wall of the wild hunt and Fergretto is you know doing the the main figures in his uh Fergretto meets Mignola style but the background is done in um, a lot more of a of a pen and ink style and it's just beautiful because you know that's this this massive mural that's on the wall and there are certain things that Fergretto is doing on this book that Mignola just doesn't do. Um, I mean, Fergretto never shies away from, you know, armies of hundreds. <laughs> you know, he'll just balls out to it. But Mignola is doing, it still feels like Mike's storytelling. You read the last miniseries, right? Mm-hmm. With the the art just feels like a Mignola pacing. So it's it's just beautiful. And uh, even Guy Davis has a uh, that Mignola pacing down. Oh, Guy Davis is so good. <laughs> yeah. Why is he not on everybody's radar for being a freaking oh, genius? I remember back in the day uh, buying the White Wolf game books and yeah. seeing his, his seeing his little spot illustrations and thinking, this guy's got something going on. And then when he showed up in Sandman Mystery Theater, oh, he owned that book. I liked Sandman Mystery Theater, but for me, like the big turning point with him was uh, the book he did with Phil Amara at uh, Dark Horse, Nevermen. Nevermen, yes. Oh, jeez. But you know, the, like I, I can't call him an unsung hero because everybody I, I talk to that talks about the the Mignola verse, you know, we all praise Dave Stewart. But talk about somebody who really gives those books. Uh, just a really cohesive identity. So, right, and yeah. Guy Davis to me is like Harvey Kurtzman, mm-hmm. and and I'm not just talking in in style. The the way Harvey would throw the stuff down and make it look like it was effortless, whereas mm-hmm. as an artist, if you try and imitate Guy Davis, it's not easy. I mean, th- there's a lot of subtleties going on there, and there, it looks like it's done really quickly. He's got this very very flowing kind of effortless. Uh, I, I, I don't know. It's it's like a gesture drawing almost. 
where whereas he he just puts down exactly what he needs to convey what's going on in the panel and that's incredibly difficult to do and Kurtzman was like that too where he would lay down those thick lines and make it seem like it took him maybe you know 10 minutes to draw the panel whereas god knows how long he sweated it well yeah with with somebody like davis i wonder if he's penciling really 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 super tight solving all of his problems and then just rendering like crazy on top of ah, it really loosely but I mean that's gorgeous. Oh, I, I wanted to uh, to go over to Captain America for a second for David. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, ha- have you noticed that uh, Frank Darmada has backed off on the on the painterly coloring in that book lately? You know, you you had mentioned he was dark in uh, what book were, came up when when uh, oh it was the the Thor one shot. Yes, yes. Um, and you said was he dark in there? Have you noticed that he has backed off on Cap? Uh, the last I didn't read the latest Cap issue. The last one I read was uh, was I think it might have been issue forty, and it was I think when Bucky's getting beat up by on by Batroc. I think that uh, that that was taking place at night, but even before then, I haven't. I, I got to say I really haven't noticed, but I will with the next issue that I read. I'll. Uh, I'll check it out. I would expect something like that to jump out at me only because it's been so dark for so long. Well, it's still dark, and I, I think a lot of that is Epting is still putting quite a bit of, uh, of ink on the page, but it feels like he's fighting a lot less with Darmada. Darmada, I, to me, on, on the first, I don't know, 12, 18 issues of, of that book, I thought he was perfect. And then I felt like after a while, he was he was getting a little more rendery he he was overpowering the line art but to me i i can see he's he's backed off and it the book just really sings it's it's reminding me of the the initial run hey everybody it's chris neesman back from his holiday festivities yay chris wow i couldn't imagine you guys doing an episode without i didn't want to ruin the streak i didn't want to be a wood Ooh, <laughs> oh shit dude don't Damn, be a wood you know, man uh, you know all guys are lo- uh, I, it's a good thing I, I mailed my Christmas presents out earlier this week. <laughs> but Chris, we did get a suitable replacement for you. Oh, more than suitable if you got Steve there. He there can actually go. like do things with his hands, and I'm not even talking about drawing. You know. <laughs> except, except he's failing because he's not that angry. That's he's not. True. He's entirely too good-natured. He's so loving you, you obviously haven't talked about uh, Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, there writes, we go. Writes The View, or I mean Dark uh, Rain. <laughs> Wait, who had who had less than a minute in the pool? Um. <laughs> um, wait, I oh, speaking of Christmas presents, which we were talking about gifts and all that kind of stuff, right? Weren't we? Maybe. Okay, um, Pat Wojka, I got I got a, an awesome Christmas um, card gift from Pat today. Um, a totally kick-ass uh, Hal Jordan and uh, um, Semestro sketch. And Mike Sims, KY Kentucky guy, sent me a bottle of bourbon. Ooh. Sweet. Nice. Yeah. And, um, and Will Pfeiffer sent me his um, self completely self-published comic i have to go get it it's on the it's on the kitchen table i haven't actually had a chance to look at it yet marta told me about it today um uh, after lunch but will pfeiffer sent me his own self-published comic today nice wow. you race but, but yeah it's a uh, late nights at kinko so yeah i it's it's christmas christmas comes early to uh, the neesman household nice wow. 
Sweet. <laughs> and, and, Mar- and Marta is sitting next to me, and she said she's pissed off because she ain't got shit. She <laughs> nice. should do a podcast. Yeah, so just oh. going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, catch me up. What have you all been talking about? Lots of stuff. Have we've we been talking about, my friend. Want me to read you the list from our handy-dandy yingling lager notebook provided by Mr. <laughs> Wet rats. It is. We were talking about channeling Kirby, Mike Allred, God Size Thor, Athena Voltaire, and the Black Coat, the impact of 399 comics on indies, X Men Messiah Complex, selling David on fables, writing for the audience, and Final Crisis number five. Oh, sorry. Hellboy the Wild Hunt, Captain America, and Frank D'Armada. All right. Um, two, two things I would say is uh, number one, um, cock sucking, motherfucking. Oh. Price gouging bastards. <laughs> oh man, there goes um, the explicit tag. Love, and number two, I'm sick and tired of um, threads on forums that start with "Sell me on X." Ooh. Oh, <laughs> ouch! It's like, it's like, you know, you know what? Oh. If, if if you are interested enough to ask the fucking question, pick up the fucking comic book and read it yourself. Don't Somebody go. was drinking. <laughs> Chris, Chris, Chris sell me that. on bourbon. <laughs> yeah, just listen to this, Chris. I yeah, really, I wouldn't listen to this episode then. <laughs> You know, David, David said, guys, sell me on Fables. So. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Did. God, pick up the goddamn trade and read okay, it Okay, bitch. How about if they had the first <laughs> volume, I would. Wait a minute. Halfway into oh, the conversation. This is awesome. Say, oh, no, you didn't. This is quality right here, baby. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. And it's not Christmas. even selling me, mofo. It's selling my wife. It's oh. good. You, 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 you've got you've got every podcaster in the known universe telling you. Okay, we we had a guy over at the AC boards today that um, that was um, basically at, is Sunnyvale trash, a great poster, and said that he's interested in picking up Gigantic, and he says that he hasn't read Fear Agent yet, so he wants to jump into this. And I was just like, motherfucker, understand that your that your forum account is under suspension until you read Fear Agent. <laughs> we, we've been talking we've been talking about this book for two and a half years yeah. and if you're a regular listener to our show or our show or AC and to have not at least read one issue of Fear Agent now I you know if you don't like it that's fine I understand but to have not at least tried it at this point because d- does anybody on the panel tonight not like Fear Agent on some level? Love it, love it. I looked David. forward to it even before it came out. <laughs> no, I mean from all the pr- the, the pre press hype. I only have yep. I only have the first trade, but what what I've read, I've 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 loved. Yeah. So anyone that listens to this show and actually enjoys our ridiculous banter, if you haven't picked up one issue of Fear Agent just to give it a try, it's um, um you know come. Fucking get off the pot, dude. <laughs> oh, I love, I love it. it. Yep. Happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> Just say no. Just say no. I had a, I, I had a, my corporate uh, uh, Christmas party tonight. Ah. Did awesome. you get to the comic shop? Yes, I did. A, a nice week in in relation to the the massive undertaking that was last week. It was nice to just go to the comic shop, pick up six, you know, six books and get out of there without dumping like 50 bucks. Six books. Yeah, Jesus. six books I picked up today. Well, how made you get, Chris? Uh, I'm trying to think uh obviously Fear Agent, um uh Supergirl, which I was uh, flipping through right before I called you guys. Um 
Oh gosh, it wasn't a really heavy week. Uh, no, very light. Uh, Trinity, obviously. Um, I was going to pick up Amazing Spider-Man um, for this reason uh, more than anything else. It would have been the only Marvel book that I picked up this week, but uh, it was sold out by the time I got there. Awesome. But, yeah, so no Marvel comics for me this week. Um, but I took some trades in um, tonight that that I had read and I traded in to Mark and uh, basically traded straight up for the Kirby Fourth World Omnibus Volume Three. So, awesome. uh, so, I, so I I basically got that kind of for free tonight. So I'm looking forward to diving into that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, but it what, was it was it was kind of a nice palate cleansing week before Christmas. Yeah. And what came out today, Mister Wood? He's got that uh, damn mute button on. <laughs> no, I don't. No, no, why are you asking me? I, I, what I what do you mean? What? Every, oh, I get my books so every you, other week. So I don't. I don't know. Your boy came out today. Deadpool number five. Oh, respect. Yeah, Jason Pearson it's, cover. Let's see here. Uh, you know what? Actually, you know what is coming. Uh, now I don't know if it came out this week or next week, but it's doing my 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 shipment, so it must have. Dude, and I'm mad giddy about this, and I can't believe none of you bastards have mentioned it yet. Camelot three thousand hardcover. <laughs> that came out oh, because that, not all of us are yeah. living in like 1987. <laughs> oh, dude, oh, that was awesome! Come on, man. That was, um, like, um, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Hold on. Hold on, Mr. Matt Wagner, Mage, and you know, Brendel. I mean, that is. I'm totally talking about the era. people that already read it when it first came out. Oh, okay, okay. I was going to say that if you liked Mage <laughs> or Grendel, you were reading fucking Camelot 3000. Back fucking Brian Ball and artwork, you can't beat it. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm sensing some tension in the room. Okay. <laughs> You know, well, what it is is that is that Wood hasn't been around, or he's been kind of wussing out. So I was Sal was telling me I needed to bring the heat tonight. What the? Wow! All right, all right, Vince and Steve, you, you two best protect your nuts because I don't think Chris is taking it easy on anybody tonight. <laughs> you know, I, mine have crawled up inside my my abdomen. Oh, at this point. Christ! <laughs> Nothing like an angry drunk. So well, Brian, when, when are you when are you going to come up to Chicago and visit me again? I will be up there next Monday for the Bears-Packers game. That is, what's the date? The 22nd. No good. Um, come on. Oh, come oh. on. I'm going to be there the 22nd and 23rd. Are, you, are, you gonna, are we going to hook up and, uh, and have a good beer or two? If you want to, yeah. Okay. Wait, the Bears-Packers, that's a Monday night, right? Yeah, Monday night game. Come okay. on, ask me, ask me where I'll be sitting. Steve, where are you going to be sitting? Uh, well, a friend of mine is the art director for a company that advertises on Comcast. Uh, so we will be in the Comcast. Uh, that's our sports net. Well, you know that. But uh, uh, we'll be in the Comcast skybox. It'll be my Nice. Th- it's really cool. Nice. Excellent. Respect. Respect. Even if it is for a football game. Excellent. Yeah. Well, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a meaningless game because yeah. uh, the Bears are going to be out of the playoffs. No. No. It. What What do you mean? Because the Vikings are losing the next two games. The Bears going to be in, baby. Oh, I hope so. But and then then Kyle Orton leads them to a Super Bowl championship. Now, Ooh, now I know you're drunk. <laughs> Uh, I think we should bring it all home. What do you think? Guys? Anyway, uh, when we were pulling Chris in, uh, I believe Steve had just asked David a question. Oh, no, David yes, asked that's me right. If, if David asked me if Epting was uh, okay. still on Captain Luke, America, but he, he is still on it. But Luke Ross, I believe, Luke is Ross filled in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, I saw. I, I saw a couple issues of that. Marty, Marty buys Captain America. It's a. It's a. It's a change. I'm not saying it's a bad change, but, it, it, <laughs> but it's it, not Epting. 
It's not Epting, yeah. Well, nobody is. For my money, Steve Epting is the best guy in mainstream comics right now. Wow. Wow. Hands down. He's up there, yeah. His, his Captain America is a far cry from his old Avengers work. He's inking his Cap stuff, and Tom Palmer was inking the Avengers stuff. And let's face it, I mean, Tom Palmer inking John Byrne on that Silver yeah, Silver no, Surfer he... special from 79, that doesn't even look like John Byrne. It looks like Tom Palmer. No. Yeah. yeah, no, Palmer is. I mean, even, even this Avengers stuff is 10 years old, and, and obviously he has grown. But yeah, no, Tom Palmer can be quite heavy-handed. I love Epting. And he, the guy always hits it out of the park, but he hit it to the moon on El Cazador. Have you ever read oh, that? Yes. Oh, my. I have, I've never seen the man look better. That I, like, I, I like Mike hmm. Perkins better. Ooh, get out. I like Mike Perkins. I think he's great. Perkins is awesome. I love oh. Mike Perkins, but Steve Epting, to me, is, is channeling Al Williamson. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think right there, that's that's my guy, you know, William. Hey, hey, can, can I bitch about one other thing? Since that's my kind of my theme tonight. <laughs> tonight, second. Steve, you know what? You channel Al too. I don't yeah. even come close. I I I would like to, and I mean, it, he's certainly one of my big influences, but I'm nowhere near. I see it in the work, mm-hmm. but I'm crazy, Vince. Give me some candy. So what I say doesn't <laughs> what what I say doesn't really matter. But I, I see a lot of Williamson in your work. Well, yeah, thank I you. And, 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 and I know it's probably not a, con- a conscious thing on your part, but when you absorb that kind of stuff, it tends to leak out every once in a while. You're doing good, good work, buddy. Well, thanks. And it's conscious yes. as hell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, bitch away. All right, more, more Marvel cocksucking, price gouging oh, bullshit. <sighs> uh, isn't that the new anthology title? <laughs> no, it's no, it's the new omnibus title. Will Angry Chris finally explode, taking the entire cast of 11 o'clock comics and sexy Steve Bryant with him? Find out next Tuesday in the second part of our marathon holiday episode. X-51 out. Happy Holidays. <laughs>